0: Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger. On this episode of Jill on Money, don't worry if you've already blown your New Year's resolutions.
1: You can have health goals. I want to lose X amount of weight by X date. And if you achieve that goal, you feel really great. And that goal helps motivate you and build that healthy lifestyle. But if you miss the goal, you're still way healthier now than you were. And you'll hit that goal a month or two later. Like It's fine. And that's how we should be treating our business
0: welcome to the Jill on money podcast we are presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs it is a new year and it is time to start addressing some of the big issues in your life now some of you may have made resolutions about getting back to the gym or eating healthier maybe you've got your financial resolutions but there's also some workplace resolutions that I'm sure many of you have made and that's why I am delighted to bring to you Simon Sinek he is a noted author and consultant his new book is called the infinite game you will love this guy he's really smart he talks about the difference between long-term and short-term ism and so here is our interview with Simon Sinek
1: you're listening to Jill on money with Jill Schlesinger
0: before we start what's your best financial or career decision you've ever made
1: Um best career decision I ever made, it's, it's a, it's, um, look, I, I could say, look, the best career decision I ever made was quitting to do my own thing, but that led to disaster. You know, my business, you know, I, I lost my passion for what I was doing and my business wasn't doing well. So I, I would say that the best business decision, the best career decision I ever made was learning the lesson that I don't have to know all the answers. And if I don't, I don't have to pretend that I do. When I had my own business, I thought because I was the boss, I had to know all the answers, and if I didn't, I definitely pretended that I did. Yeah. And that's what took my business in a bad direction, and it was only when I learned the lesson to ask for help and admit that I didn't know something did things completely reverse.
0: Tell us about yourself. So people may n- may know your name from a TED Talk, from your book called The Infinite Game, but who are you? What, what's your story? Where'd you grow up? Um,
1: first and foremost, I'm an optimist. Um, I
0: don't know what that means. That's uh, so fascinating.
1: You know, I, I, I want to define myself by who I am, not what I do. Um, I, you know, it's so funny on the backs of books and you see these blurbs. It says, you know, name, author, CEO. Blah, blah, blah. We, we're defining ourselves by our work or our, by our product. But what happens if you're no longer the CEO? What happens if you're n- n- no longer writing books? Are you still those things? So first and foremost, I'm an optimist. I think my worldview was formed, you know, By my upbringing, of course. Um, I had an amazing upbringing. I grew up all over the world as a kid. I'm born in England, uh, moved to South Africa, moved back to England, moved to Hong Kong, and then moved to exotic New Jersey.
0: Why don't you have a cooler accent if you've lived all those places?
1: Well, I was a kid when I came to America, and when I go to England to talk to my parents uh, or watch Top Gear, my my accent gets very English. Really? (laughs) Yeah.
0: So tell us a little bit about kind of uh your career and mm. this business and then you'll lead us into the paradox of being a human being
1: well my career the current path that i'm on mm-hmm. was a complete accident um i started off in the in the ad world and quit and started my own little marketing consultancy Do you know why
0: i knew you were in the ad world why? you got great hair
1: that's very kind i'm is, just saying is, that most is people there a correlation who,
0: yes a very strong correlation so if
1: you have great hair go into advertising at
0: least with guys
1: that's interesting. Yeah, Didn't bald guys that.
0: go into investment banking. That's funny. Hmm,
1: interesting. Um, well, maybe they started off in advertising and then went into banking as they got older.
0: No. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, so advertising. So I was in the
1: ad world, had a good fast, uh, had a good career there. Quit my job, started my own thing, um, and that went well for a couple of years. But my fourth year in business, there's this statistic that hangs over your head when you start a business that the vast majority, ninety something percent. You know, fail in the first three years, and so once I got through the first three years, I had joined a very sort of special club in America. You know, of, of entrepreneurs who would sort of survived. Mm-hmm. Um, but my fourth year, that fourth year was very, very different because that drive and excitement had worn off, the novelty had worn off, and now I had the difficult job of actually building the structure of building a business. And my passion fell out of me. I mean, I I lost my passion for my own work. And I was quite frankly embarrassed because superficially my life was good, right? I had my own business. We had great clients. We did great work, but I didn't want to wake up and do it again. And Mm. so I kept that to myself. A lot of my days were spent lying, hiding, and faking. I was pretending that I was happier, more successful, and more in control than I felt. Um, And it wasn't until a very dear friend of mine came to me and said, I'm worried about you. Something's, Something's different. Something's wrong. And it gave me a safe space to come clean.
0: What a friend.
1: I know. I'm, very, I'm immensely and eternally grateful. It released all this energy, that all of that energy would, that went into pretending every day could now go into finding a solution. And the solution I found was this thing that I called the why. I knew what I did. I knew how I did it. But I didn't know why I was doing it. And mm-hmm. I, I, I learned that, that based on the biology of human decision making, that was the missing piece. And so I became obsessed with my why. And it restored my passion to levels I'd never experienced before. I shared with my friends, because that's what you do when you discover something wonderful. You tell your friends about it. My friends started making crazy life changes. And people just kept asking me. Friends would invite me to come to their apartments in New York City and share it with their friends. I literally would stand in someone's living room and talk about the why. And help people find their why for $100 on the side. People just kept inviting me and I just kept saying yes. And so my career took an entirely different path.
0: What are the questions? Because you wrote a book that's called Start With Why. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the questions that you um, think we could ask ourselves if we're feeling in that rut?
1: You know, what is what is so important to you that is worth sacrificing? You know, money is not it. You know, that you're willing to sacrifice your personal life, that you're willing to travel a lot and miss your family, not be there to raise your kids. What are you working on that all of those sacrifices or worth it mm. turn down a better high paying job to stay where you are people do that all the time because there are things that are more important to us than making money we know that like everybody knows that so the question is is can you put into words what is so important to you that you would be willing to sacrifice and that doesn't mean you have to enjoy the frequent business trips or being away from your family of course we all want to make more money but you don't enjoy it but it feels worth it hmm and that's that's the path you want to take yourself on. And the way you find your why is you look for patterns in your life, which is you look for all the times where you did have immense joy, that you were in the flow or whatever you want to call it. Whether it was commercially successful or not, you just felt like this was the best thing in the world. I want to keep doing this. And what you'll discover is in all of those peaks, there's a pattern and that pattern is, is your why.
0: I really wish I met you about 20 years ago. I feel like you <laughs> might have saved me a... A lot of emotional distress and therapy appointments but B also money and time like these are big parts of your life that are sort of quickly fading away
1: and people start thinking about their legacies in the latter half of their years it's like second-term presidents think about their legacies first-term presidents think about their Mm re-elections you know so and and we're all the same Uh, and so the question is to adopt an infinite mindset means we start thinking about our legacies At 19 or 20 years old, not at 65 or 70, you start thinking what you're going to leave behind at the beginning of your professional life, not at the end of your professional life.
0: Are we talking about something that is a privilege of the wealthy? In no. other words, you, like so, translate this to like middle class person listening to this yeah. right now. Like, well, hey, you, I'm grinding it out. I'm a teacher, and I'm working hard, and all I can think about is getting to retirement.
1: Yeah. So, so an infinite mindset. In fact, quite the opposite. I find that people who've had great commercial success, great financial success, actually, they're the ones who, unfortunately, have have defined success as numbers. People who are definitely in this, in a service realm, whether it's military or public service or teachers, they went into their professions knowing they weren't going to get rich. And so the healthier ones looked for alternative definitions of success. So it doesn't matter what our jobs are, or how much money we have. The question is, are we contributing to something bigger than ourselves? And a teacher who's just looking forward to retirement, I would say, has lost that infinite mindset. Right.
0: They might have had it in the they beginning. They might have had they it at the beginning. Maybe they're
1: burnt out. And so the question is, is it's not just helping kids, like... Of course, that's what all teachers do, right? you know, but it's like, I went into this profession because I imagine a world that is different to the world we live in now. And I want to advance towards that idealized state of the world. And I choose teaching as a means to, to get there, right? So in the United States, an example of that is the Declaration of Independence. Our founding fathers wrote down for us that they imagined a world in which all people were created equal, uh, endowed with unalienable rights, amongst which include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And they won the revolution, now the heavy lifting begins. And you can see these milestones in American history that show us that we're trying to move towards that ideal. The abolition of slavery, women's suffrage, civil rights, gay rights, like all of these huge milestones which are imperfect and still ongoing themselves. Yeah. But you can see that we're trying to move towards an ideal and we will never get there, but we will die trying. And that's the point. That's what gives our life and our work meaning that we're moving towards an ideal state and we feel like the world is better and that we got to contribute to it. We left this world in better state than we found it.
0: One of the things that you take uh, certain industries to task, for example, financial services Mm. or big companies where they're managing quarter to quarter, profitability, profitability, profit. And it seems that every time someone reaches beyond that, Mm. that they somehow get burned. It's very weird to me.
1: Look, we live in a twisted world right now. Right? Right? We live in a twisted world right now where when companies decide to reinvest in themselves, Wall Street punishes them. Well, aren't they supposed to be building strong companies? You know, we live in a world where when you have mass layoffs, your stock price goes up WTF like what what are we what kind of world are we living in you know where where companies literally CEOs and executives are literally they have pressure put on them to make decisions that they know are bad for their companies, and avoid making decisions that they know are good for their companies. The, the form of capitalism that we have today is not the capitalism that Adam Smith imagined two hundred and forty-some years. Forget about ago.
0: Adam Smith. My grandfather was the CEO of a company. It's not, and this was uh, yeah, eighty that, years ago. Not, that's not, that, not his yeah, company. That, it really, it,
1: this really, this new twisted, bastardized form of capitalism, where we prioritize short term over long term, and and shareholders over customers or employees, really began. In the 1970s, it was a a, you know this, I mean, it was in Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman theorized, theorized that the responsibility of business was to maximize profit within the bounds of the law. That was the responsibility of business. Like, what about ethics? And so that became sort of the the banner for this new breed of capitalists that were coming up in the 80s and 90s, the folks like Jack Welch.
0: Oh, I was just thinking about yeah. it as you were saying that.
1: He, he was the poster child for everything that's broken about capitalism today. You know, he was pioneering rank and Yank, where you promote the top 10% of your people who contribute to the stock price and you fire the bottom 10%. The whole idea of internal competition inside companies. The whole idea of shareholder supremacy, where you prioritize the wants, needs, and desires of an external disinterested constituent over the people who are sacrificing for your company and buying your product which is the same as a coach who's trying to build a good team by taking advice from the fans rather than taking care of the players like that's what shareholder supremacy is it's the madness of it they eviscerated Mm Glass-Steagall in the 80s and 90s Mm -hmm. Glass-Steagall was passed after the Great Depression to prevent another Great Depression from happening seemed to work pretty well and between, between the Great Depression and the evisceration of it in the 80s and 90s, the total number of stock crashes we had was zero. Right. Since the evisceration, we had 87, we had dot-com in 2008. We've had three significant stock market crashes since we removed the controls, all in the name of corporate profit, which is why they eviscerated it.
0: What do you think when you hear uh, Jamie Dimon, Business Roundtable, yeah. they come out and they're like, oh, you know what, we, we have other constituencies. Superficially,
1: it's a good thing. Because it's proof that folks like you and me who are talking about this stuff, the pressure that we're exerting on these very, very powerful people is working. That they would come out and even make a statement like that. We couldn't imagine that 10 years ago. It just would never have happened. So power to the people. That's what that is. That's proof that, that the people still have power, that we can exert that kind of pressure. However, the statement that they released read like sort of generic... Values that a company writes on their wall, but doesn't actually live or or breathe Mm. the spokespeople that they had in the press release I mean Jamie Dimon who basically when he talks about it talks about giving back to the community
0: Yeah, he's his big project
1: in Detroit. What we're talking about is giving to charity, right? You could be a horrible person that gives to charity. You can be a horrible company that gives back to your community It's much bigger than that being purpose-driven is not primarily about your CSR program. And then you had you had the the CEO of Johnson and Johnson as another one of the signatories. Johnson and Johnson was just fined over five hundred million dollars for their uh, contribution to the opioid crisis. I mean, they they picked the worst spokespeople to make the statement This is Jill on Money,
0: hey, gang. It's me. Jill Schlesinger. You know that. You're listening to the Pod certified financial planner CBS News business analyst host of this here podcast Jill on money and I am here to tell you about our sponsor Marcus by Goldman Sachs they're helping people achieve financial well-being with simple and transparent banking products including clarity money that's a free personal finance management app that's part of the Marcus family clarity money is your AI powered financial champion that shows you a simple view of your finances together in one place they recently launched a weekly budgeting feature that you've just got to try the app does the hard part for you and calculates your average weekly spend by category you can take that information so you can set informed budget goals based on what matters most to you you can also subscribe to budget alerts to help keep you on track and start with a clean slate every week. Who doesn't want that? It's super easy to use and can make a task like budgeting kind of fun. So go check it out. Download Clarity Money through Google Play or iTunes or visit Marcus.com forward slash Clarity. And now, back to our interview with Simon Sinek. Now, we've beaten up on the financial services sector. Let's talk a little bit about the technology sector, my new favorite people to break. You know, because I sort of feel like the technology sector right now Mm. is sort of going through. What banking went through Yeah, maybe 20 years ago. Like, it does feel very reminiscent. I mean, I just said before you came in here, I was reading the newspaper and I had a picture up and I said to Mark, I'm like, you know what? I hate these people from Facebook. And he says, you know, you've said that about a thousand times. Like, I say it every day. And uh, it's not just Facebook; it's a lot of them. But that, let's call well, them the poster child. Fa- fa- Facebook
1: has become the poster child, like GE was the poster child. Right. Yeah. So let's
0: use that. So, what is their finite uh, mindset that that's operating right now? Well,
1: it seems it seems that they're more interested in protecting their business model than advancing their cause. And you know, when the company was founded, you know, Zuckerberg had a had the opportunity to become one of the great leaders. Yeah. You know, he he, he 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 could have become one of the ones that we we're, we're now s- telling stories about, and you know, the story leaders. And he had a cause, and the company was setting itself on a path really to, to advance that cause. And I'm not sure when or how, but something went a little bit sideways where protecting the business model became more important than advancing the cause. Let's you know? say
0: that they brought you in. They say, Simon, come in here. Yeah. Wave your magic wand. What would you want to happen at Facebook to kind of course correct right now?
1: Well, number one, I, I think there needs to be a they need to be reminded as to what their just cause is and that that takes a priority over absolutely everything. And even if it means losing money or cutting businesses in the short term that would hurt them financially, it's the right thing to do for the future. And there's plenty of precedents for that. I mean, if you look at um, what Bob Iger and Tom Staggs did at Disney, it was kind of amazing, right? They sat there when, when, when Michael Eisner had moved out. Tom and Bob sat down and said, let's look at the portfolio called Disney because Mike Eisner became obsessed at the end of his career. With sort of world domination, yeah, I know, and you know, and wanted to be in every category in every sector, and he did a lot of damage to the Disney brand, and to you know, they they used to attract the top talent, and now the top talent was fleeing, and so one of the things they did is they they looked at the businesses that didn't make sense to the cause that Walt Disney had given them, you know, this good, clean, family fund this place to escape our stresses. And so they uh, they owned a music label that released songs from like death metal bands. There was a band called World War III from right. Disney. Right. right. So it does not matter if it was profitable enough or not. They sold it off. Right. They used to um, make Quentin Tarantino films. Like we love Quentin Tarantino films, but from, not under not, that. Label. Not under that. Not from Disney. Right. They sold it off. And if you've noticed, Disney has never and will never go into gaming. Like, they would have the best casino ever on the Las Vegas Strip. They own Star Wars and Marvel and all the Disney. It would be incredible. They'll never do it because gaming violates the values that Walt Disney put out for them. And so there's this incredible discipline and their willingness to, to hurt themselves in the short term financially because it was the right thing to do. And we've seen what happened. Disney has completely restored the luster. And the same thing can happen at Facebook.
0: Although I'm not sure they know what their values are right now. That, I think that that's. I think that that feels like when he said i want to bring the world together and connect the world what he sort of like seems to forget like oh you know except that i set this up as a college student to like score girls looks right well, so was, he, does, he doesn't he doesn't really own that yeah, it was, right it
1: was it was the facebook right I mean, that's exactly. what it was
0: and so what i think would be really helpful is if they went to a bunch of people like you or and said you know mirror back to us yeah A way that we can be true to our value system and you might come back and say well you tell me what do you care about well I want to connect the world but do you want to connect the world at the expense of like you know hijacking democracy in the United States or causing problems elsewhere so now you're asking provocative questions at some point he and the people around him have to be willing uh, I, to see, hear it.
1: See, here's the problem. They know these. They know, they know what they, they have to they, do. They know these. You're, 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 you, I mean, it's, like, it's not like I'm going to go in there and ask them questions they have not been asked, or tell them things that they don't know. Like, but they don't like, want to. Like, I mean, it's it's the same with it's the same with you know investment bankers. I mean, it's the same for all these companies. Yeah. Like, the
0: difference. The difference I feel like with at least in the banking sector, when the market pops, you like just really knocks you upside the head. Then at least in the short term it gives you a moment to say like, "oop, I got to figure this out." Facebook has suffered reputationally, but look at their stock price.
1: I, you know, I think the thing that these large companies forget is size is no indication of stability. Mm. You know, and big just means you're big. Yeah. And wealth absolutely helps you survive scandal for longer because you can you can pay your way out of it and you can suffer financial losses for longer but it is it is not a foregone conclusion that you'll survive and we've seen like worldcom you know oh, yeah. uh, enron tyco we've seen large companies that have prioritized the short term over the long term evaporate overnight you know lehman brothers i don't think there's a foregone conclusion that facebook is going to be around In 20 years and and definitely not survive Zuckerberg's uh, when he eventually leaves the planet
0: you know I almost feel like part of the problem is that you have this feels like CEOs run amok right and there's no accountability but we have these sycophantic boards that just sort of kiss their butts and let them do whatever they want and then the sycophantic shareholders who don't want to do anything either and so in that respect I really believe we could create a structure to make them better, but they have to be want to be better well, themselves. I think, I think we should
1: take take notes from that, that. What we talked about a minute ago about the the business roundtable, which is in in all leadership theory, one thing that anybody who studies the subject knows is the people always have the power. This is why dictators fear the people. This is why they have fake elections. It's why they bus in people and pay them so that they'll you know, have a rally that shows support. The people have the power. And so the public pressure is a real thing. Mm. And I think that especially remember Facebook tends to skew an older demographic. Mm. And so I think young people I think young people who are more aware of this and don't have any kind of locked in relationship to Facebook I think they're going to start to see the number of people that they have on their on their platform just go down. Because at the end of the day one of the huge advantages of online businesses is it's a low barrier to entry. Anybody can join, but it's also a low barrier to exit, Right? you know, which is nobody's actually loyal to online companies, right? Because we don't have a real relationship with them. It's an online relationship. So Amazon is a great example. We like Amazon. We like Amazon a lot, but do we love Amazon? The standard I use is if you got a free t-shirt with their logo, would you wear it out proudly? Would you wear it to paint the house under to sleep in? Mm. You know, if you got an Amazon t-shirt, would you wear that with pride on a weekend? No, probably no. not because because we like Amazon, but we don't love Amazon. And if something better came along, we're gone. And so the more that Bezos can expand, you know, sort of his... his connection with us in our lives, the less likely we are to move because it becomes more difficult to offer an alternative competitive product. I think Facebook is the same, which is there's nothing to say that we wouldn't abandon them. They buy the companies that we abandoned them for. I mean, they bought Instagram. Right. And lied to Instagram and lied to WhatsApp, promised them that they wouldn't violate their values and did. And both those founders out, out left, yep. quit unceremoniously
0: I just want to read this because I love this this is from Simon Sinek's book the infinite game you should also buy his two other books start with why and leaders eat last those who are unsure whether their purpose mission or vision statement is a just cause or those interested in leading with a just cause can use these standards as a simple test I love this a just cause must be for something affirmative and optimistic inclusive open to all those who would like to contribute service oriented for the primary benefit of others resilient able to endure political technological and cultural change idealistic big bold and ultimately unachievable so here's what I did I read this Mm -hmm. I dog-eared it Mm -hmm. and I thought to myself you know what this makes sense this is why I'm so happy where I am today Mm. because it is not achievable mm-hmm. and i think that that was the thing that was like the that was like my red herring i always thought it had to be a number a dollar a goal a title a title whatever, or whatever it was, whatever it was yeah. and now what i always say is here's the mantra of the show and why i go on tv this is Jill on money where i take the mystery out of your financial life mm-hmm. i'm never going to do that mm-hmm. i try no it's
1: it's it's about advancing not about right. achieving right an you know, infinite game is about advancing something the achievements, the finite components in the infinite game are the milestones. Like, there's still finite games in the infinite game. Right. But they're milestones that advance towards them. In other words, you want to hit the certain number or you want to hit this milestone for a reason. The way I like to equate it, we overuse sports analogies and war analogies in business because it's all about winning and, you know, sort of launching things and stuff like that. The, the better analogy is more like exercise or lifestyle. Yes. Right? You can have health goals. I want to lose X amount of weight by X date. And if you achieve that goal, you feel really great. And that goal helps motivate you and and build that healthy lifestyle. But if you miss the goal, you're still way healthier now than you were. And you'll hit that goal a month or two later. Like it's fine. And that's how we should be treating our business. Which is you absolutely should have goals, but they're there to drive you and motivate you and keep you focused. But if you miss them, your business is still way healthier than it was, and you just stay on the path, you'll be fine. But to reward people for hitting arbitrary goals, even though a different leader might be building a healthy lifestyle, is how we have to think about it. We have to think about business more like a exercise and less like a less like a game of baseball or football.
0: And I always use diet and exercise as like the perfect analogy to your financial well being. Because they're ongoing and your things, right? right? It's just it is just part of what you. It's do. an ongoing thing, a constant. Struggle. Right, and it's habit, and it's like you're going to screw up, and yeah. you're going to mess up, and you know what? I'm, none of us is perfect, and we love to, you know, get out there and try to bring messages to people. Uh, Smart
1: people do dumb things.
0: Yes, exactly. Very <laughs> good. Hmm, interesting. Uh, before you go, yeah, we started the interview. And I said, "What was your best career decision?" It was basically going out on your own, flaming out, and then finding your infinite mindset. I yeah. presume. What was the worst decision of your career?
1: Uh, the worst decision of my career is I have had people in my life who were taking advantage of me and um, my gut said fire them and don't work with them anymore. And I succumbed to pressure and advice from other people. said, no, no, you need that person in your life. I should have just done it on my own. Mm. And so I I beat myself up. Oh. I beat myself up because I should have known better. You're listening to Jill on Money.
0: Okay, it's time for the Marcus Minute. We're presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. You ready to play, Simon Sinek? I'm ready. What's one word to describe your relationship with money?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's, always worth, <laughs> what's always worth spending on?
1: My niece and my nephew.
0: What's the dumbest thing you've spent money on?
1: Oh my goodness, most things. I mean, most things I buy are dumb.
0: How much do you? How much do you spend on a haircut with your good hair?
1: Uh, I think it's it's gone up. It really annoys me because it used to be fifty dollars, and it's just gone up, which has been really annoying. But he's good, and so I keep going to him. But it's I think it's like eighty bucks now, which I think is too much for a haircut.
0: It's your last day on earth. You've got a hundred bucks in your pocket. Yeah. What's your last meal?
1: Probably sushi. Where? Believe it or not, there's a great sushi place in Dallas. I know. I know. I didn't expect to hear that. Did you?
0: Simon Sinek, the author of The Infinite Game. Thanks for playing.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much to Simon Sinek. We are going to link to his website and a way for you to buy his book, The Infinite Game don't forget we drop new episodes of jill on money every tuesday and thursday sometimes mark throws in a little bonus episode as well if you want to make sure not to miss any bit of our content just subscribe to us you can do that wherever you're listening to this podcast that might be apple stitcher radio.com google play i don't care but get it and for 2020 here's a resolution request from us could you please leave us a review because this makes a difference also it helps us understand the kinds of guests you want the kind of content you want good bad or otherwise I'll take it just please leave us a review our music is composed by Joel Goodman mark Telercio is our executive producer we're distributed by cadence 13 and this show is presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs see you next week